but I've been really enjoying feeling my feelings and being less afraid of them. The less things I have to reach for, the more I just have to feel them. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Delbaut. Most weeks, I talk to creative, fascinating people about their self-care and their routines and how they got to where they are and where they're going. But the last couple weeks, I've done some solo episodes. This is the second episode of the new year. And I'm back with an interview, and it feels so good. I'm interviewing Marley Grace, who's a dancer, a quilter, an improviser, an artist, also from Michigan, and someone I just look up to and respect so much that I've worked with her, and I met her in a store she had in Grand Rapids years ago. And last year, in 2018, she wrote a book called How to Not Always Be Working that just really impacted me. We talk about that and so many other things in this episode. We get into friendship, moving, divorce, family, dance, creativity, feeling your feelings. We talk a lot about boundaries and change, sobriety, art, creativity. We talk about correct versus right or wrong, like something feeling correct or in alignment versus feeling right or wrong. We talk about jobs versus hobbies, so many things. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. I did. I enjoyed recording it in December, at the end of December, while she was passing through New York on her book tour. We recorded this in her friend Ellen Rutt's apartment and sitting on a bed, very cozy. And I I think you guys will feel cozy listening to it. I want to get to it as soon as possible, but Thank you to everyone who listened to last week's episode where we talked about the art that's made us, that's made me actually. And then it sparked this discussion where everyone was talking about art that's impacted them throughout their lives and cultural New Year's resolutions like reading more books and going to more movies in the middle of the day and going to movies alone. These are all things that I've resoluted for myself for the next year and Anyway, we talked about maybe doing a book club and in the listener Facebook group, everybody wants to do a book club. I've gotten so many messages about it. So I want to do that maybe in the spring. Give me a minute. I'm kind of kind of going through it, you guys. So more on that later, but I'm recording this from Michigan. I just had my grandpa's funeral. So I'm in this sort of tender spot, which is okay. But let's get to this episode with Marley. If you want to join the listener Facebook group, that'd be cool. I'd love to meet you. And I'll talk to you at the end of this episode with my likes and learns of the month, of the week, actually. Something I want to do every week. I forgot last week, but it was kind of a funky episode anyway. And very me heavy, so it's actually good I probably forgot. But I will be doing likes and learns at the end of each episode where I tell you something I liked and something I learned from the week that just passed. And... Also, I'll tell you who's coming up on the show next week. So talk to you at the end, stick around, and enjoy my episode with Marley. This episode is brought to you in part by Emmy's Organics. 
I love these snacks, you guys. They make these delicious, really soft treats. They are made from simple ingredients like organic coconut and almond flour. And they're these little cookie balls or bites or whatever you want to call them. They never use any artificial ingredients or preservatives or even natural flavors, whatever those are. They're certified organic. They're gluten-free. They're vegan and they're grain-free and soy-free. They're perfect for on-the-go. I always have some in my bag. They're great with a cup of coffee or as a little dessert. My friend Carolina likes to put them in her kids' lunch as a treat. They have a chocolate chip cookie flavor that I love. My favorite is their peanut butter flavor, though. They ship nationwide, and they're in Whole Foods Market and Sprouts and CVS and so many stores. And you can also get them at their website, emmysorganics.com. And if you use the code there, let it out, you can get 40% off your first order. That's 40% off your first order. And here's something I love about them. They're a certified B Corp, which is considered the highest standard of corporate responsibility. Emmy's was founded in a home kitchen by Ian and Samantha, friends of mine who started the company in 2009. And now they have these Burmese refugees as their employees and they create this beautiful working environment for them. And I just love this company so much as much as I love their actual snacks. And trust me, I really love these snacks. So if you want to check them out, find them at Whole Foods or get 40% off your first order at emmysorganics.com with the code let it out thank you emmys thank you so much for doing this yes thank you for coming here as you know your work has been so meaningful to me over the past year and just in general and i'm so happy that i get to talk to you i've been wanting to have you on the podcast since we like first connected this year and it's the perfect time i'm glad we get to do it in real life me too yeah this is this is so much better yeah, than over the yeah, phone. That's I'm glad how it I have only ever recorded a, my own podcast. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's rare that I get to be in real life with other people. And I think it's fun. So yeah. I'm glad that we're on this bed in Brooklyn together. Yeah. And I think for my podcast, it being so long and it being like such a, a um, you know, I think after 45 minutes, we kind of forget we're recording. Yes, I've kind of forgotten yes, we're recording yes. already. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> <laughs> we're already there. Um, okay, so you've been traveling a bit. You just had a book come out. What's present for you today? What's on your mind? Present for me today is when my emotions are sort of off center, like either like really excited about something or like really sad about something. It's easy for me to like go into an obsessive state, whether it's like I'm looking at my phone a lot or I'm just thinking too much about the specific thing. So today I'm sort of like, I'm feeling like joyful about something. And so I'm sort of asking myself, like, how do I feel joyful about this thing without letting it totally distract me from my, the rest of my life? So that's, and I feel like I've known that I do that before, but I've never given myself the like agency to not do it. I'm just like, well, that's how I am. I go crazy when I have a thing like this happen. And instead I'm just like, okay, I can notice that and work around it and work within it a little differently. So, Wow. That's, I do that too. Yeah. And I think it's more noticeable for me with the negative. Like when I'm yes. feeling really low, it's, I can't work. I can't sleep. Yes. I can't get like all of those things. But it's interesting to hear about it with the joyful thing. It is the same thing. Yeah. 
but I, I just have never really made that connection. So how do, you, I, <laughs> how do you do that? How are you? Well, I noticed it yesterday when I like, I got, I took the train from Hudson back here to Brooklyn and I got back and was talking to Ellen who I'm staying with. And she was the one who was sort of like, well, why don't you write about it? And I was mm. like, oh, right. Like I can use tools to process this. Like, I feel like that's what it is. It's like my sadness feels really processable. Like Mm -hmm. I've built all these tools to be like, okay, when I'm sad, I can journal, I can meditate. I like, I feel like self-care, we focus so much on how to feel better. And I feel really good. Like if anything, you know, I'm definitely prone both hereditarily and in general to like, you know, manic swings and depressive swings. And so when I'm in sort of that mania state, I don't really want to leave it because I'm like, I feel so good. This is so exciting. And then I'm like, that's not sustainable. Like, and I'm getting really distracted. So it was an amazing practice to just open a blank Google doc. And like, I like to also be in sort of the middle ground of like, I'm not, it's like the between morning pages and writing on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not filtering, but I'm like writing in sort of my creative writing voice. Um, Yeah. So that was a really good tool for me yesterday. And just like drinking water, putting the phone in the other room, you know, like taking deep breaths, remembering I'm in my body has been helpful. So Yeah. Yeah. That happens to me a lot where I'll just, I'll be excited about something, but it just feels like anxiety in my body. Yes. yes. And mm, mm-hmm. so when you were writing about it, were you writing about it in a in a prescriptive way, in a creative way, somewhere in between? Yeah, I was sort of like, I feel like a lot of my writing, this has sort of happened in my weekly newsletter, is literally being like, I'm sitting in a chair in Brooklyn. I have a crush on this person. I'm feeling this way about my residency. Like I'm, you know, it's like very, yeah, just saying what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then usually if I start that way, it sort of flows into something more. I definitely don't identify as like a poet. I don't think I write poetry, but, you know, some sort of like in between of factual writing and prose, poetry is sort of what I'm, how I'm generally writing. But it was, it was good to just, it was good to even just type out what was happening. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's Mm -hmm. sort of what happens in the obsession or the excitement, or like you said, when it feels like anxiety is like, I just, I don't even know what's happening. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I have no idea what's happening. (laughs) So it's nice to be like, this is what's happening. Yeah. And I think for me in those, in like a joyful state, it's, you know, it's fleeting, which makes me feel sad immediately yeah. like even in yes. the happy I start yes. to feel sad because I, I know it's gonna go away I know and I often do that like I, I had a really great trip recently and I, mm. I wanted to write about it on the plane home not even in a way to to share it or even to process it but just to remember it and to like yeah. make it last longer yeah it's kind of like when you call someone after something because you want to not really it's not even really about them or sharing yeah. with them it's about you and yeah. like making it last longer yes yeah I think I got a let's see I got I'm like how do I say it? I got an email from someone that I used to be in love with that ended with the sentence happy holidays and I <laughs> yep it's okay and I was kind of like damn like that's that's one way to end an email. You know, it's like, you know, it's clearly like we're severing the bond. The bond has been severed, which is fine. And I've accepted, but, and I was thinking about even like have company ending or when I moved, you know, I've 
spoiler alert, my next book is sort of a, about what we're talking about right, right now. And so maybe that's why I'm like really noticing all of this. It's like, it's really looking at beginnings and endings and how everything ends and everything starts and everything keeps going. But um, yeah, I found myself I need that now. I feel like I should go. So yes. <laughs> yes. That's, I'll, I'll send you my Google doc outline, but it's sort of like this feeling of, and again, I think this is some of what I'm feeling right now is a product of like, turning 30, Saturn hath returned on the other side. But I'm also, I think maybe part of it is this, not to be like, and now that I'm 30, I am so wise. <laughs> but it's like, it's more my pace of like, I've done, a, I've fit a lot into 30 years in terms of like, I've been in love a lot of times. I've like had a lot of projects and businesses. And I'm starting to re- both have both feelings. One that's like, this sadness of like everything ends, everything's going to end with an email that ends with happy holidays. Like why even why love again? You know, I'm kind of in the like, why? So as I'm feeling joyful about like new feelings about like just people, friendships, new feelings about my new project that I'm going to be doing. I'm also carrying a little bit of the, like why start when we know things can end sadly I've also had things end sadly, really sadly that, you know, I can't help but think about getting divorced and that, that that person is now like a very special and important person to me. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily right after we fucking got divorced. So that's like a part of this for me too, is remembering that like it ends, it's sad. And then sometimes it changes into like the most magical thing. So we don't actually, you know, the happy holidays email could turn into like a whole another thing with time. So, Well, maybe you don't think of yourself as a poet, but the way you speak and Mm. the way you write is Mm. very poetic. Thank you. Yeah. Goes right in. Yes. You know, like it's, yeah, for, for some, for me at least, and I'm thinking a lot and I know a lot of people, it goes right Mm. in. Let's go back a little. I want to talk about your new book and everything, but let's go back. What were you like as a kid? Were you always a creative person? Were you always dancing? Were you always writing? Tell um, me everything. Yes, thank I I love this question. I've yes, I've been dancing is the th- the through line to everything. Like truly the first video of me that like exists in the world is like me dancing to Janet Jackson at four years old wearing like an Easter slip. Like, you know, we went to Easter church. My parents, we don't even go to church. I don't even know why we went to church, but you know, some sort of family thing, thing, an Easter thing. And, you know, I get home, I take the dress off and I have this move where I like lick my finger and go like on my butt, like to rhythm, like rhythm nation is to date basically my favorite album. And yeah, I took my first like formal dance class at five and then at nine, started taking classes with the Grand Rapids Ballet Company and did that till I was 18. And then I went to U of M and was a dance major there. So I, and, and still dance to this day. Um, so you grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. Yep. I grew up in Grand Rapids, went to, went to school in Ann Arbor, moved back to Grand Rapids for six years after that. And then, um, moved to California for two years and now I'm headed back to Michigan after this. So I, yeah, I definitely, have always been dancing and that and been writing like from mm-hmm. a very my dad had just found a couple of years ago some amazing like I was probably nine it's like me writing my autobiography or something and it's just you know it's the classic and Ellen again Rutt who I'm staying with has been digging out her old diaries and they're just the way we speak about ourselves so confidently is 
amazing. Like I need to look at this, this thing my dad found again. It's, just, it's literally just How like, old were you? I think nine. Uh-huh. I'm literally just like, I'm amazing. I'm a dancer. Like just time. I'm an artist. Like, and then chapter two only has two sentences. And then I stopped and it's something like, which is so funny. Cause then I like, qu- you know, quit drinking seven and a half years ago, but at nine years old, chapter two is like drugs and alcohol are not cool. And that's <laughs> like it. And then it stops and stops there. It's so funny. I had someone on the podcast. She started this organization, Real Girl, which basically teaches everything we've taught ourselves in our 20s about like relationships and the yes. moon and our cycle yes. and our boobs and yes. all the things to <laughs> pe- to like kids under nine. And in wow. her, in her, like she used to be an educator, teacher, okay. and I'll have to connect you. Yeah. But her research and like why she started Real Girl is because she found out that girls' self esteem peaks at the age of nine and then starts to slowly plummet after that. Makes me feel so emotional to hear. It's so sad. And I, that's, yes, that's the exact age that happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always been close with your family. You have a brother, right? Mm -hmm. I have a brother, Sam. Uh Okay. And I think I heard you talk about this on another podcast or we've talked about it, but you lived in Grand Rapids for six years and you had a store, which is where I originally Mm -hmm. met you. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that, but let's talk about moving a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's such a weird, messy, complicated thing. And both of us are from Michigan and you didn't move away from Michigan until you were 29. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do that? What are your thoughts on moving? What are the challenges on moving? And then, you know, in family, I think it's like with with both of us being from Michigan and going away from there. I also moved when I was older. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's like dig into your thoughts on that. You know, moving was, moving away from Michigan was easy in some ways because I'd, you know, I'd been in a partnership for five years. We lived in a house together. We were married. I had my shop. I had a lot of things. Like I had really, I had really like, you know, it was my first time like building an adult life and Mm -hmm. an adult community. And so when that ended, I could have certainly like continued to build something within that. But like John and I had really built a, like a shared community, like the way we were hosting people in our house and at have company and like the music festival that he started. And so when our partnership ended, it was very hard for me to think about staying. And I I was still there for another like six months, but it just felt sort of like I had to go. Like I just had this opportunity. I had a friend who had a room in her house in Oakland and I was just sort of like, I have to, I have to leave this place. And yeah, my brother Sam lives in Philly and he had moved like five years before that yeah, he moved at a much younger age. He's three years younger than me. So he moved in his early 20s. Um, but he moved to Philly. So it's it was still far, but it wasn't like California far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard hard to tell my parents sort of like, okay, I've split up with this person who's basically b- become your kid in the last half decade. Sam doesn't live here. I'm about to not live here. Like, good luck. Um, and that's been hard. But I've also seen my parents, I think, become more independent and more real. They're like definitely the kinds of parents who like my friend group is like their kids. Like Mm. they are really sort of like second, like local grandparents to my friend, Jackie and Jacob's son. Like 
one of my best friends, Brian is like their other kid and like his parents live in California. So like he gets to like be there with them. And so, yeah, I really, really my community there now is very held together in many ways by my parents sort of like being an anchor. I I have incredibly cool parents. So I'm very, very lucky for that. So yeah, so then now you know I've been living in Point Reyes Station for the last year and a half, and I'm obsessed with that place. I'm obsessed with my friends there. It's it's unlike any other place I've ever been. But I had this opportunity to move back to Michigan, and I wasn't looking to move back, but it just it just kept feeling correct. Like I think I'm usually trying to follow correct rather than good or bad. Like in alignment is a word I use a lot, and moving this time felt so sad. Like I, I didn't want to leave. I kind of mentioned this last night, the reading It also felt good to like leave on the high note. Like it felt really different to leave a place. Like I lived in Oakland and like when I left Oakland, I like broke up with someone and like it, you know, Oakland then kind of carried the shadow. Michigan had a shadow. It was nice to be like, wow, I get to come back to this place as I left it and as I love it. And so that's been nice, but it was really sad to like pack up my life there, but I'm excited to be in Michigan. I will say that I like, this is my favorite New York city trip I've ever had. And I loved being upstate upstate feels like kind of just a gayer Marin County, West Marin. Like it's like, and colder, but it was so nice to be like in a small town with a really beautiful queer community. So yeah, I got off the train in Hudson and was kind of like, Oh no, I need to live here now. But I'm I'm excited to be just closer. To, I feel much. I love the West Coast. I loved California, but I f- feel like Michigan and the East is a little more me. Mm-hmm. So, do you feel like it was important for you to have the experience of going away for two years from where you grew up, from Michigan? now that you're coming back? Yes. A hundred percent. I'm always a little like, as you know, I was an adult person with a career that I felt like I was really respected amongst people who didn't live in Michigan. And so I would get a little mad when people would be like, you have to leave the place you're from. And, And I was leaving, you know, I would go, I would travel all the time and visit people other places. And I, I don't like when that's like some sort of prerequisite for like being a better person in the world is like, Oh, they still live where they're from. I'm like, I know plenty of people who leave and still suck. You know, it's like, I don't think that that makes you better. It's kind of like when people are like, you should really wait till this time to get married or to have a baby or to do this. It's like, I have plenty of friends who wait until they were 40 to have a kid or get married and they're miserable. I have plenty of friends who got knocked up when they were 20 on accident and are the fucking greatest parents and love their partner. You know, it's like, there's just yeah advice, unsolicited advice specifically is absolutely my least favorite Mm -hmm. thing. But I'm so happy I left. I'm so happy I was gone for two years. I loved, I loved what I built in California and what the way that the ways that I learned about myself there. I fell in love in really different ways there. I loved myself more there. I lived alone in a tiny cabin in the woods. Like it was Marley's little Saturn return sabbatical. Yeah. Like I really am so glad I did that. And I'm so looking forward to going back to Michigan and and being close to my parents and And a lot of my friends who I, you know, lost some touch with just from naturally not being there, who I'm like, feel really welcomed back by. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk more about what that did for your relationship with your family. And something I usually ask at the end, but 
What is your greatest lesson on family? Maybe we could talk about that now. And did moving kind of affect your relationship with your parents now? Yeah, I feel like my my relationship with my dad has always been pretty easeful, pretty amazing. Like we just have an easy relationship. Um, my my relationship with my mom has been a lot more difficult for both of us, and leaving. Yeah, I feel like we're sort of in our best place mm-hmm. that we've ever been. And I maybe we just needed that much space. And like, I think we both learned a lot about like not having expectations. Like we really just have expectations of each other that we don't meet. And that's what sucks. That's what's always leads to like bad feelings between us. Um, And so I feel like we've really been able to like let go of those expectations or like catch when we're doing it and just be like, Hey, like, I know this is what's happening right now. Can we pivot? Can we talk about this? Me and my brother flew both my parents out to California for their 60th birthdays. Mm -hmm. And Sam came there too. And that was really nice to like, they don't, neither of them really travel. So it was really nice to do that with them. And Yeah. I just, you know, I love just hanging out with them. And so I think that has been hard for me to not just get to hang out with them. So yeah, I'm excited to hang out. Do you feel like we've talked about this on this podcast before that you growing or you changing then expands your parents to to grow and change? Have you seen that? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I think this year I noticed when I was dating someone and you know, have been out and queer to my parents, you know, forever. But, and they've always been, you know, don't care. Just are like, yeah, of course. But had never like, and had had partners who were women, but had never like introduced them t- to my parents or and vice versa. And so this year was like, you know, my first year at 30 being like, all right, guys, like I have a girlfriend and I'm, I really love her. And like, I want you to meet her. And like, was feeling like really nervous. And they were just kind of like, uh-huh. Cool. And I was like, oh, wow. Right. Duh. Like, why is this, you know, and they just like, you know, she met them without me while she was like on tour, you know, it was like, they just were sort of like, of course, like, let's have her stay over and we'll like make her dinner or whatever. And so it was really nice to see, to like trust them and to see how much, and to see how much they were just like, able to expand or didn't even need to expand in the way I maybe thought they did. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about breakups and cycles <laughs> Great, and leaving leaving your marriage, which you already mentioned. How did how did you get through that? When can we dive into that a little bit? Like what were kind of your when did you get the awareness and the the next steps of how did you get through that? And then what did that whole experience teach you? So I have a project that's an Instagram feed called Personal Practice. And I started it in July of 2015, which is also when John and I started talking about ending our partnership. And it took us another year basically, you know, to we yeah, we worked we worked on it. We tried a lot of different things and sometimes they worked and then they didn't anymore. And so but it's funny because I started personal practice not thinking like this is what will save me as I go through the end of my marriage. But it just did. Like it's, I started it and then I committed to dancing every single day. And I still have it. I still post most days, but I 
after about a year and a half, like just needed to give myself permission to not show everyone every day. But it was like such an amazing accountability tool for that year and a half where I did post every, every single day, even, even when I didn't want to. And yeah, I mean, dancing every day was the way, I mean, that was, you know, and as a person who doesn't drink or do hard drugs, that was definitely the first time that I, since getting sober in 2011 was really just like, I want to drink or I want to die. And, you know, the two things that kept me from doing either of those things was, calling my friends and dancing every day. You know, really there was like two times where I really needed to call someone to be like, I don't, I don't feel safe by myself. Like I don't really like being alone right now. I was living in the back of have company and um, yeah, I'm glad I did that. And I'm glad I just kind of got through in those ways and had a lot of, yeah, just like people around me, but really I think, you know, dancing every day was the thing that really, Got me through. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who's going through something like that? Like a big life change, like a breakup where everything reminds you or you're questioning your choice. You're just scared about the next phase in your life. And, you know, would it be having some sort of creative practice or outside of that? Yeah. I really think that the daily practice is so amazing. And again, it's like, I really did it with the accountability of having a place to put it every day, which was really helpful. But, um, I think just like, it's, it's so like the cheesiest thing, but like just knowing trust that it gets better. Like, it's so crazy looking back at that time. And now what my life is like two and a half years later and just being like, wow, like, it's so different and like, you're going to fall in love again and you're going to break up again. And you know, or or there's people listening who have been with their partner for 30 years or something, but even within long-term partnership, I think you can still go through questioning and pain. And that's where the only thing that's constant is you and God, (laughs) you know, I think it's Octavia Butler has some amazing thing. It's like, change. I'm not going to try to say it, but it's, you know, something that like change is always happening. God, God is constant, but I love just thinking about like, yeah, it's just me and my relationship with whatever. I, I'm, I'm somebody who like uses God, even though I don't believe in God. I just, this is a fast word and I like it, you know, whatever. I probably more specifically believe in goddess spirit of the universe, but I'm down with lowercase God. So, well, it's kind of, I think you're kind of saying like that it's cheesy and it's like, everybody's has it tattooed, but it's like this too shall pass. Yes. It's like, it's really fucking yes, good. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, cliches are cliches because yeah. they're real, you know, yeah. that's why they're, they are what they are. So, yeah. So weaving this back into, to work a little bit, let's talk about your store have company. Yeah. And I think it kind of ties to your your story. So you were living in Michigan. You study dance at U of M. You start this wonderful store, which I think started as a camper, right? Yes, it started as a mobile shop and a camper in 2012. And mm. yeah, talk about the name of it, which mm. I love how you got the name Thanks. of it. And then just what happened next and how your careers come to what it is now. And yeah. how I think you've you've separated your identity from it a bit. Mm -hmm. So in the summer of 2012, I did an artist residency that Eliza Fernand facilitated in Pentwater, Michigan. Eliza is an amazing quilter and the space is called shared space studio. And I made a zine called have company and 
Yeah, Woody Guthrie has this list of New Year's resolutions from the 1930s that are handwritten. I have one of them tattooed on my arm, which says, wake up and fight. And they're so good. There's so many, you know, dance more, just there's so many good ones. My favorite one that my friend Mary uses a lot and is integrated into her art practice is keep hoping machine running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just like makes me cry every You're time. You're really good at finding good lists. Do you yes. remember in, in our creative advising, you gave me the... The sister Karita Kent list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love lists. You're I love good, good at lists. finding yes. a good old timey list. Thank you. <laughs> and so one of the lines on Woody Guthrie's is have company, but don't waste time. And, you know, I quit drinking in 2011. So in that summer in 2012, I was really thinking about how much, you know, time I'd lost or wasted by literally being wasted. And so it was so sweet to find this sort of line that was like, you know, I want to have company. I want to have company. I want to have time with my friends, but I don't want to waste it. And so that's where the name came from. And then in the summer of 2013, I found a storefront in, in Grand Rapids in the Heartside neighborhood. And moved in. And then that next spring turned it into an artist residency. My friend Jake, that was part of why it worked is we split it. So he lived in the back in the apartment space and kept a studio in the basement. He's a leather worker. And then he was ready to move out. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do with this backspace? And I was like, oh my God, I can turn it into an artist residency. And so, I mean, really what happened, which I write about in the zine I made this year is like Instagram just made me have a career basically. It just was like, and it was like at a time when Instagram worked very differently and people saw every post that you posted and people loved there. It wasn't like overly saturated and it was just, yeah, have company. The feed just existed in kind of that right time and that right pocket for what social, what was happening on social media. But I also integrated a lot of my personal life into that, into running the store more than a lot of other people who run stores, it just always felt kind of right to me. Like I was picking things to sell that were so, they were literally just things my friends make. And so it felt a little weird for me, although I love others. Like I think of other wild so much, Rachel really doesn't insert herself, but it's all things her friends make, you know, there's just so many different ways to do it, but that was the way I did it, which sometimes made me feel a little blocked because I was like, well, who is Marley outside of have company, which was part of why I, even though I was still doing the podcast after I moved, I decided to end the podcast and end the project because I just was sort of like, who is Marley like outside of this. And so that was really important to me too. And sometimes I, I don't regret it. Like sometimes I'm just like, I should have just kept doing it at that name. And, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm happy. It, I, it needed to end. So I, I miss it just like I miss other things. Yeah. I ended that were correct. So Yeah. I I've had that so many times in my life where people have told me like before this I had a blog called The Wellness Wonderland and someone was like, Who is Katie without the Wellness Wonderland? I yeah. freaked out. Yes. And then recently, yes. who is Katie without Let It Out? Or who is yeah. and, and it's a scary thing, especially yes. with social media. Like if it if it all goes away tomorrow, which it might, <laughs> like yeah. we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, just like, un- can you talk about that a little bit? Like, of divorcing your identity from your work. I mean, your new book is is really a- about that and a lot of other things too. But yeah, how how have you done that? And now your Instagram is your name. Yes. Because 
Yes. Before it wasn't. Yes. So, yeah. Talk about that. It's been really, really amazing to me. I feel like I'm grateful that Have Company sort of introduced the world to Marley in many ways. You know, people loved what Have Company was as this like container that was hosting and sharing. And it got people to see me and what I was thinking about and doing and writing about. And um, I think it's been, yeah, it was definitely really scary to be like, I'm going to stop identifying with this thing. Um, But I also like, I sort of waited till I was ready and not ready. I was like, you know, you know, I think, I think at that point I signed my contract with HarperCollins. Like I knew I was going to have a book coming out that was going to have my name on it. I had signed my lease in Point Reyes. Like I kind of like had a few things that I was like, Marley can be Marley. And, but I was also like, so not ready. I was so just like, but we don't know what that's going to look like. And I think that it's funny to use the word divorce. It's like my divorce felt similar. It was like, I was like, okay, Marley can be Marley without John clearly. But it was, you know, it'd been five years. I was also kind of like, maybe I can't be like we, so much of my life is about who I am in relation to this person. And so I've been careful this year, I feel like to, you know, my last partnership involved some, it's easy to sort of want to align with this person that you love and you admire what they do. And like, I tend to date people who make, sounds that I really like and I'm a dancer. So then we're teaching together and dancing. And it's just like, it's fast that my identity can get wrapped up with other people. And so I, even though I'm still open to that happening, I'm also sort of like, okay, I want to have some separation of myself in regards to other people, whether they're romantic or not. And so, yeah, it's been really good for me this year to just sort of be like, just me. And it's funny. It's like the internet is, I never wanted to be like, I have to have my name be my Instagram for me to feel like me. But it was, it was really changed my life to be like, it's just my name. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Instagram for a minute. I feel like we talked about it in our sessions quite a bit and you wrote this great zine on it, which everyone should get. Thank you. is so good. You articulated it all so well. So well, let me say the name. I wrote it down so I could say Yeah, it. thanks. I can never remember it. So. How a photo and video sharing social networking service gave me my best friends, true love, a beautiful career, and made me want to die. <laughs> That's so called. good. Yeah. So good. So yeah, talk about when did you get the idea for that? Did you write it this summer? Yeah, I wrote it like I write most of the things I write in a day. <laughs> And then I post it to the internet and tell people it exists. I'd finished writing How to Not Always Be Working. But, you know, I think I turned my final, final draft in in like April. But it, you know, wasn't coming out till October. And I felt the need to write something else because I was noticing how fast Instagram was changing and how fast my relationship was changing with it and to it and how I was just couldn't put it down. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, I never used to have this problem. And so I started doing some research. I read Catherine Price's book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. I started reading all these articles and I was like, oh, it is now designed for me to be obsessed with it. Specifically looking at like the algorithm changes and not just what it shows us, but how 
like I'll literally have a post that has over 4,000 likes and my next post will have 128. It's so crazy. They're doing that for two reasons. They're, they're doing it because it's this. usually the selfie is what is getting the thousands and me saying, I made a gift certificate. The link is in the bio. We're getting 100 likes. And so they want me to they want me to pay for something. They want me to boost it. They want me to turn it into a business account. They're trying to they're tricking me. But they're also and I wrote I wrote the list in the zine as like the fluctuation between thousands of likes, then like 700, then 300, then 100, then 700, then 3000. Like they're making me addicted to the gambling aspect. This was so helpful for me. Good. Because I had no idea. Yes. Most people don't. Yes. I've been sharing this around like an evangelist yeah. because it's <laughs> because it's fascinating. Yes. It's like, yeah. And I shared it because again, I think people were just feeling it was increasing how bad we're feeling about ourselves. And deleting then when you feel pictures. yes, deleting pictures, archiving. Then when you feel that bad about yourself you get more addicted to scrolling because it's like, what's the point of life? So yeah, my relationship to it. And it's, again, I, I've been also writing a lot about how I, cho- I quote, chose to talk about the least cool thing this year because I always had a really strict rule for myself. It's like, you don't talk about Instagram on Instagram. I hate when people talk about Instagram on Instagram. I'm like, this is like Fight Club. The number one rule is we don't talk about Fight Club. Like, don't, it's stupid. Like, just talk about it somewhere else. And then I was finally like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to talk about it. And I'm glad I did. I still try not to too much because it it annoys me to annoys me to see myself talking about it. But it's like, I think it's just a reality. And, and it was sad to see so many other people not, especially it was basically my creative advising clients over and over who were just like, I don't know what's going on. I feel so sad and hopeless. And I was like, okay, we have to start thinking about new systems and structures that aren't as reliant on this. So seems like a good time to take a pause and take a photo with you on of you on my disposable camera, which <laughs> I carry around with me now. Yay. Um, I need to get one for this trip. Yeah, it's so much fun. So much fun. It's Ellen, so much again, fun. who I'm going to keep, we're sitting on her bed, yeah. so has a right, uh, not a disposable film, film camera. Yeah. And there's a block away, a place that develops a role for $5 and emails you the images in an hour. Oh, that's amazing. And so she is just whipping through right now. Yeah. Her pictures look Nick, amazing. Nick so. does that too. It's so it. much fun. It's so good. That yeah. anticipation of, I mean, I remember yes. that from being a kid and yes. having these and being yes. like, oh, are we picking it up today? Yes. And it's, yeah. Yes. That instant gratification is is overrated. So let's go back to your book where I learned a lot of your, the zine that you wrote is a great appendix, yes. I think. Thank you. To Thank you. How to Not Always yes. Be Working, your book that we've been mentioning. And you did a reading of last night, which we keep mentioning. It's so wonderful. And I think the thing that really strikes me about it, and the passage that you read last night talked about this, but the intersection of job and hobby and how that gets muddied for me and you yeah. and a lot of people. And a lot of people, it doesn't, but you've figured out some ways to create boundaries within that. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk about your experience and kind of a, a thesis of where you are with that. Yeah. I, you know, the thing that I really learned since the book came out is I learned to surf this year. And after like two years of living in California, I was finally like, all right, 
I got to get away. I, like all my friends, I keep being like, let's hang out. And they're like, I'm getting in the water. And I'm like, shit. Um, so finally I was like, I will do it too. So I got a wetsuit and brought my friend Alex a surfboard and, you know, started just, you know, I, I never stood on a board, but I just like started just going in like every day, just going in, just getting on the waves, riding them on my belly. And the person I was dating at the time was sort of like, it's going to be a week and you're going to write a memoir about, you know, surfing. And yes, like I, I'm immediately just like, think about everything as like, we're, it's like, I'm going to turn it into my work. But I think where I like literally, I really learned the line when with knitting, like knitting was my hobby and I would share it. And so it was like a part of my work, my I personal identity as a part of who I was as a creative person, but it wasn't a part of my job. But I was like, wow, everybody loves that I knit. And so I decided to like have Have Company become part yarn store. I never call something a mistake because I clearly learned so much from it, but it was factually a business mistake. It was just like, didn't make sense. I couldn't sell that brand of yarn online. There wasn't enough storefront business to sell the yarn. All of a sudden, knitting was my job, and I was so mad. I was so mad. I was like, knitting, it's not supposed to be my job. And so what I learned from that was like, oh, knitting itself wasn't my job, but talking about it was, and that was correct. And so I feel that way about like, and I've been, I talk about swimming all the time. So surfing just sort of felt like another, another water sport. I'm sure once I move back to Michigan, cross-country skiing will be my new thing that I'm like thinking about where I'm like, I, I promise, I promise to myself that I will never try to get good enough at surfing to be a surfing teacher or a surf. I will never teach a class on surfing as meditation. Like I, I promise publicly right now, I will not turn the actual task of surfing. I will not sell (laughs) surf. I will not, I will not design a surfboard. I promise to truly keep everything separate, but I would want a Marley Grace design as soon as I said that, I was like, I have to take that part back. I'm going to make like a quilted. Me and Ellen will With make like all shapes. of your tattoos, but on a surfboard. Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. So I might design a surfboard, but that's the thing. Maybe I would design a surfboard, but I promise to never have being on the surfboard in the yeah. water, my job. And so that's like the thing I really, really learned from writing the book and now reading the book and sharing the book and coming and greeting myself in this new sort of hobby that is exercise and prayer and, you know, surfing is all, you know, it's another walking cliche, like it's riding the waves and everything's a metaphor and, and I'm going to talk about it because I talk about everything in my life, but I'm not, I'm not going to try to make money from it. And so, and that's what I mean when I say work, I'm, I'm not going to try to make money for, you know, dancing is my work and I, it's the thing I make the least amount of money at which is fine. I don't have a problem with that, but I'm not, I'm not opposed to making money from it just because I don't. If someone, you know, it's like, we want to hire you for a music video. I'd be like, great. Can't wait to get paid. Let's do it. But I'm not actively, it kind of fits into this nice in-between place where I'm like, yeah, writing is my job, you know, hosting artists is my job. Creative advising is my job. I, I like, you know, creative advising was something that I yeah, talk just, about that. Yeah, I just I was doing it with friends, you know. I was I was doing it really with the residents. Like the residents were coming for 10 days and I would just like creatively advise their entire practice and when they would leave I was like, you know, many of them were like launching entire new businesses or lines and I was like, "Oh, I'm like really good at that." <laughs> and so I did pause to think about that to be like, 
do I actually want that to be my job or do I just like talking about art? And I turned it into my job and it's been really amazing. I took a break from it this year for a little bit as I set up some other ways that I make my income and did an online class. And that's been helpful to be able to kind of like shift within it. But yeah, that's an example of something that I was glad I was like, I actually do want this to be a part of my job. And part of it was I was kind of getting burnt out on not getting paid for it. And when I look at like surfing or knitting, like I'm not getting burnt out on them. Mm -hmm. They're feeding me, Mm -hmm. you know, to do them for free and they have nothing to do with my job. So I think that's sort of a, but then like I was making money from creative advising and then that burnt me out a little bit. So it was like, okay, something needed to change within that. And then I rested enough and now I'm like excited to be picking it back up in the new year. So. And it's kind of interesting too, I think with creative advising in particular, when it involves another person, them paying, like I know for me, Mm -hmm. if it had been a free thing, I don't know if I would have taken the care and time to show up in the ways that I don't know if I did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that one would. (laughs) Yeah. And I definitely find like every once in a while, you know, I'll have a friend I have friends who have paid me for creative advising and I have friends who I can tell they need it. And I'm just like, let's sit down for an hour and have a sesh. And they're like, no, like I, and I'm like, you know, it's not going to burn me out. Like I can tell sometimes when I can just do it for someone and I'm like, it's okay. You know? And so I think that's part of it too. Is like, I try to charge an amount that feels appropriate Mm -hmm. to me that also allows me to have flexibility in how I engage with other people about art and business. You talked to me about this too, of like, you know, some people charge things that maybe feel correct for them, but that attracts a very select group of people and that's maybe correct for them, but, you know, not for you or for me. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, tricky thing, price. All right, quick interruption to this episode to tell you about a company that's helping make this podcast possible. I love wearing stretchy pants as much as the next guy, and you might also love stretchy pants. And that's great because there's a ton of variety out there. But stretchy pants can be as pricey as fancy pants, you know? And I'm super excited to partner with this company, Fabletics. It was founded by, yes, actress Kate Hudson, but I really genuinely love their products. And it's a fashion-focused activewear brand with a mission to empower women by making activewear accessible to everyone because of its exceptionally low price point. Regardless of if you like wearing yoga pants to actually do yoga or dance in or work out in, or if you're like me and you're more of a take a stroll in the park type of exerciser, Fabletics has an outfit for you. And they're this really just nice one-stop shop for affordable, very affordable activewear. And all their designs are created in-house. They have some really unique things. And let me be honest with you, I was skeptical at first, but with this low price point, I've actually been really, really happy with the product. I thought maybe the quality wouldn't be so great since the price is so low, but that wasn't the case. And before I take on any sponsor for this podcast or promote anything. I have to use it for a while and figure out if I even like it. And I have everyone on the team try it. And Megan and Amanda are also wearing these pants and loving these pants. I have a couple pairs now. In fact, I'm wearing them right now. I have their high-waisted styles. Those are all the ones that I got. They fit me perfectly. Like, 
Things don't usually fit me well, you guys. And these pants fit me really, really freaking well. I've been wearing them as long underwear under my baggier jeans. So I've been wearing like a pair of my Flabletics pants and then putting on a pair of baggy jeans and it keeps me warm. And then when I do go into like a yoga class or Pilates class or something, I don't have to change. I can just rip off the top layer and, you know, move around. I sometimes will even do that just when I get inside and I'll put my jeans on for, you know, being out in the world. Highly recommend that if you live somewhere cold. Anyway, before I forget, Fabletics is offering you, our listeners, an incredible deal you don't want to miss. Get two pairs of leggings for only $24. That's a $99 value when you sign up as a VIP. Just go to fabletics.com slash let it out to take advantage of this deal now. That's fabletics.com slash let it out to get two pairs of leggings for only $24. Also, free shipping on orders of $49 or more. There's international shipping available and absolutely no commitment when you purchase your first order. That's fabletics.com slash let it out. I actually just got a new shipment yesterday. And let me point out, their delivery time was super quick. I'm also just very obsessed with these high-waisted green leggings. It's like a forest green If you want to be twins with me, I highly recommend that pair. I also have it in black, actually. I'll put the links to the exact pairs that I have in the show notes. So if you do want to be twins with me, that would be cool. We could have like a little uniform together. You know, no pressure on that. Get the pair you want. But honestly, the material of these pants is super stretchy, lightweight, durable, comfortable, obviously. I have a couple pairs so I can do laundry less, which is nice. With a low price point, I can do that. And I just really like it. If you've never tried Fabletics, I highly recommend starting at their collections page so you can see all of the pieces. And there's always new styles and collections and prints every single month. And if you want to become part of their VIP area, you can get 50% off their regular pricing and instant access to the latest collections. Plus, there's no commitment in order to join that. And you can skip any month that you want to. It's really interesting and cool. So check that out. Again, go to fabletics.com slash let it out to take advantage of this deal. Two pairs of leggings for only $24 and free shipping on orders more than $49. And they, you know, they ship internationally. There's some terms and conditions that do apply. But again, thank you, Fabletics. And thank you for listening. Okay, let's pivot to talk a bit about you getting sober. You've mentioned it a couple times. And last night you talked about something that I related to so much of how you feel so much and getting sober was kind of a result of that. Yeah. Of like you you turned to drugs and alcohol to shut that down. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe talk about that experience a little bit. When did you have the awareness that's something that you wanted to do? Yeah, my drinking happened pretty... Like I... <laughs> I always tell the story in meetings that like the first time I ever drank, I was 16 years old. I got wasted, hooked up with my best friend's boyfriend at the time and threw up the entire next day (laughs) and just kind of did that for six years. Like it just was like the first time I ever drank, it was like, I'm going to break people's trust. I'm going to get, I'm going to black out and I'm going to be sick. And it was just, that's just how it always was. That's just how I drank. I drank to get drunk. And I always got sick. And so I went to college. The first two years were sort of like, it was really clear that 
that's how my drinking was. But I was really excited to be in school. The, the dance program at U of M is amazing and very rigorous. It's a weird way to go to college. Like you are physically active all day, You're every day. And you go to college classes. Like yeah. it's weird. But it's amazing. And so I was just like, I was sort of, you know, between 18 and 20, I was really like on the level of like, I know my drinking's bad, but I I love school. I love dancing. I love this program. But then the last two years, it just it just shifted in the way that I, as addiction does, I just stopped being able to focus on school and put those things first. And so it was a lot, my college suffered, my relationship suffered. I was really suffering, but I was still like passing or even getting decent grades. Like I was still, you know, I was also like the president of the entire intercooperative council at U of M. Like I, on paper, I was technically the CEO of like a $1 million corporation. Like that's at 20 years old. And so I was sort of, and I was going to the university of Michigan. I was getting great roles, you know, in productions. Like I had a cool boyfriend. I lived with all these amazing girls. Like I was just like, how could I be an alcoholic? Like look at my life, but it, I was doing a terrible job at like all the things. And so I was, it was that it was like November of my senior year. I called my dad and I was like, it was after like a, a day of like literally throwing up for like 14 hours. And I like called him. I was like, I think I have a problem. And so he drove the two hours to Ann Arbor and picked me up and brought me home. And the next day, my best friend and my brother, both named Sam, they took me to my first AA meeting. And I was sm I smoked at the time. I was chained. You could still smoke inside. I was in the so this is like 2009 chain smoked in the basement of the Alano club in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I've, everybody's stories were like really intense. Like they'd like killed people in car accidents. They'd gotten divorced. They'd crashed their cars. They'd lost their kids, like all this stuff. But I got home to my parents' house and I was like, you guys, I'm an alcoholic. And they were like, yeah, yes, we know that. That's why we made you go to an AA meeting. But I didn't think AA was right for me. And I didn't think I was that bad. So I, I quit drinking for like two months on my own. And then I actually came to California in 2010 and... A friend was like, had brewed beer. And I was like, well, I can have, I want to try like brewed beer. And I might as well have been 16 again. I got wasted, cheated on my boyfriend and threw up the whole next day. Like it was just like, you know, I thought I could have a sip of this beer. No, I could have the whole beer, three more, a bunch of shots of tequila and do a line of Coke. And then that, you know, that's how one beer ends for me every single time. And so I just barely graduated college, had to take summer school, moved back to Grand Rapids and just had a long story short, I had a very bad year. I had a very bad year of being really messed up the whole year. And yeah. And then in May of 2011, you know, I really had my sort of like white light moment and it felt very divinely like it definitely felt like God was like, yo, we're not going to do this anymore. You're obsessed with drinking. When you're not drinking, you're thinking about drinking. And then May 17th, 2011, I went to an AA meeting and, and haven't had a drink since. And so, yeah, it's crazy. It's been seven and a half years. I got sober pretty early in life. I really do do it one day at a time. And somebody asked me yesterday, they were like, you know, 
do you really think he'll never drink again? And they were telling me about a friend who got sober, went to AA and then realized that she wanted to drink again normally and can now. And I know people on both ways. Like I know people who do that and people who try to drink again normally and can't. My life is just truly so fine without it that I'm like, and I kept seeing the pattern of like, I would quit. And then every time I'd pick back up, it was just the same, if not worse. My relationship with it is just sort of like, I'm just good. I'm just all set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You talked about this with me and one of my creative advising sessions which, you know, like never were totally about work. You know, yeah, it's yeah, never yeah. really about work. Yes. Just like it's never really about drinking or food or yeah. whatever it is for people. Yeah. And you told me that, you know, well, I think we were actually talking about social media addiction yeah. and phone addiction. Yeah. And you brought up your sobriety and said, like, when you got sober, you had to fill it with other things, yeah. which is why you started quilting and knitting yes. and all these other things. And that really struck a chord with me because mm-hmm. it was the same thing with eating disorder recovery. Like yes. I had to replace that addiction with yeah. something else. Yes. And so now it looks like, or what I'm like psychoanalyzing yeah. on yeah, you yeah. is like you have all of these other tools in your arsenal of yeah. infusions and yes. cranial sacral therapy and yes. your work and your life and your friends and yeah. and you just, you're, you're good. Yeah. And so I guess, do you ever worry like when things go out of balance. I guess you said that, like Mm -hmm, when, mm -hmm. when you were going through a hard thing, you wanted it. The only times I've really ever wanted to drink are when I got divorced. And that was really the only sad time. It's usually like, I'll never forget this time that I was at a friend's house and I was hanging out with a different friend at the house, but our other friend was like running herself a bath And she was like, it was only a bathroom. And she was like, if anybody needs to pee before I sit in the bath for two hours, like go now. And I walked in and the bath was running and there was a freshly cracked open two-hearted ale on the counter, which is my favorite fucking beer. And I just looked at it and wanted to just drink it. And it was so surprising to me because that's the thing is like, people are like, can you go to bars? I don't feel triggered in a bar. When I go to a bar, it's just, I know there's alcohol. I know there's a lot of alcohol there. So I'm already very, I don't even think about it. I'm just subconsciously like prepared. But when I walk into a bathroom with a fresh bath going and I don't know there's going to be my favorite cracked open beer, you know, there's been moments like that where I maybe feel sad. And that's part of the like importance of spiritual maintenance for me is like, I never know. I'll stub my toe and want to drink tequila. Like I don't need something bad to happen for me to think about drinking, but it was really... Really the only time was, yeah, in 2016 when I was just like, this sucks. This is so painful. I had no idea I could feel this much pain and I don't want to feel this much pain. And I'm glad I did because I just learned a lot from it. It's like, I think it's just like pain doesn't have to be so scared. I want to avoid any feeling. It's like the joy feeling. I'm like, go, let's get rid of this. Let's move on to the next thing. I feel really supported by 12-step meetings and other sober people in my life. And that's been really important to me is to be able to call another person who doesn't drink. And that's why I love meetings. It's like, you know, I've sat in meetings with people who are parents who, you know, I have one friend in Michigan who, you know, his both of his sons died in like really different accidents, Mm -hmm. you know, and he doesn't have children anymore. You know, they were both like my age and he didn't drink, you know? And so I'm always like, all right, if he's not going to drink, 
I sure as hell don't have an excuse to drink. You know, I've really been able to see what people walk through without taking a drink or a drug. And that's important to me because it's easy for me to be, that that was the thing. Like when I was getting divorced and wanted to drink, the narrative in my head was like, no one knows what this feels like. No one has survived this. So I won't either. And that's just not true. So, yeah. yeah. So it's really about feeling feelings. Yeah. And, and that's something that that I talk about all the time on this podcast because a therapist told me that, you know, I, I walk around saying, oh, I feel so many feelings. And she was like, you think you're feeling, yes. you don't feel your feelings. Literally same. My biggest thing I probably realized about myself this year. That's so interesting because I look at you as someone who's so embodied and mm-hmm. through dance mm-hmm. and like in your body and comfortable as yourself. So it surprises me that we're so similar in this way. Yeah. So how do you feel your feelings? Is it through journaling? Is it therapy? Is it mm-hmm. talking them out? Like, mm-hmm. well, how do you, how do you feel? And how do you, like, we don't want to feel the feelings we don't want to feel, right? So we turn to yes. our phone or yes. we turn to drinking or we turn to food or yes. controlling or whatever. Yes. So how do you not do that? <laughs> yeah, my, my writing is a big part of that practice. Morning pages is a big p- journaling because usually, I always joke that it takes... And I, I, I feel like when I write my morning pages, I'm talking to my morning pages. I usually say like, hey, morning pages, it's me. Like, I don't know when that started, but it's usually about a page and a half in that I'm finally happy. I like hate it. I'm mad. That first page and a half, I'm so uncomfortable you to be seeing the feelings. Yeah, I'm like, I see them and I'm just like, oh, and then I'm like so happy. I'm. I'm in it. I'm in it with the feelings. I'm in it with the morning pages. And that's, yeah, it's really similar to dancing. It's like that first little bit, I'm like, I hate it. I hate that I'm doing this right now. And then I like, don't want to stop. And so I think it's also just, I'm getting better at noticing when I'm trying to leave the feeling and just kind of like, just let it happen a little longer. Um, Let it out. Let it out, baby. I have had a difficult relationship with smoking cigarettes since I got sober or really in the last two years, like I quit drinking. And then a couple months later, and I was smoking a pack a day, a couple months later, I quit and then pretty much stayed quit for five years would like have one every once in a while, but it just never caught back on. And then about two years ago, like when I moved to California, I started again and then quit. And then like a year ago, I like I like really smoked pretty much all year and it w- and it was like a month ago that I quit and it feels so good. My, if anyone's listening and struggling with smoking cigarettes, it feels, that's another thing that feels so uncool to talk about, especially in any self-help wellness herbalist community. It's like, I can't believe it or something, but I read Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Quit Smoking and it just worked. It just truly brainwashed me. It's like hypnosis. It's not really. It's He does do hypnosis. It's it's probably sort of like that. It really just lays out how much we think it's helping us. Like I thought it was helping me feel my feelings or something. And I've noticed, yeah, in the past month, I've just like felt so many feelings. But it hasn't been scary. Like the like cigarettes or any addiction is like keeping you addicted and keeping you in fear and keeping you needing the thing. And so I've been really enjoying feeling my feelings and being less afraid of them. The less things I have to reach for, the more I just have to feel them. 
Yeah. It's, it's kind of giving you control, right? It's, yeah. it's taking control of your life and not putting the control in all these other yeah. things. Yeah. Yes. But so, and I talk about this too. I, I recently on the podcast gave this poop analogy where like your feelings are like when you have to poop, yes. but you're driving, you're on the subway <laughs> yes. or something. Yes. And sometimes like, obviously it's healthier for your body to yes. follow the gentle knock yes. and go to the bathroom as soon as possible. But yes. sometimes that's not possible. Yes. So you have to like put it back <laughs> in this. and that's yeah. not great. Yeah. And like, that's okay. And so yeah. I, I think for me, figuring that out of like, Ideally, it's best to feel my feelings as soon as possible. But sometimes I can't yeah. and I'm going to have to cope and I'm going to have to like turn to my phone or I'm going to yeah. have to turn to the cigarette or whatever. And that's okay. Yeah. But eventually you have to solve and like turn to your journal or just like sit with it. And like, yeah. that sucks sometimes. Or that's really, really like elated and happy, you know? Yeah. I love the boob analogy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It helped. It's, it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a really, really hard week and like just... I couldn't do anything but but poop. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling poop, you know? Like I was just and literally like I my digestion was also weird. Yes, so yes, like, yes. It was just a lot of yeah, a lot of emotional and physical poop. Yes, <laughs> yes. I love it. Okay, let's before we do quick fire, one more thing about boundaries. Mm -hmm. Last night you talked about how you struggle with them because you're so open, which causes everyone to think you're their friend mm -hmm. and you're also this public person and you, you know, you can't be everyone's close friend, although they want to be. And yeah. I, I get that. How do you handle that? Or how are you handling that now? Yeah. A thing that I think about, which is going to honestly, I haven't publicly said this yet because I think it kind of sounds weird or like, it sounds like an ego thing, but, and I think again, like, Angel, who I read with last night, mentioned like we are all public people now. So if you're listening and you have like 100 followers, by all means, apply this to you. Like it's I'm not applying it to me because I think I'm a spe specific way, but I pretend that I am incredibly famous. Like I pretend I'm a movie star who gets bombarded. Like I imagine a movie star's DMs look insane. And my DMs look insane sometimes. Like I get a lot of people who want to speak to me and want to talk to me and want to email me. And again, I think even if you're someone who has just a little bit of that, we're all really accessible now, especially having an app that has a messaging system makes us seem really approachable and makes people think they are close to you and that's not true. And I have to remember that for myself. Like I also like will reach out to people in ways that I'm like, maybe I should look up their email or like, and I, so I think part of it is like, and I think I get sad talking about it because I don't want to seem, I love when people met, like we've messaged, like I messaged with Lindsay, I messaged with like lots of people that I really like and love and have professional relationships with that teeter on friendship relationships. And I think you just have to give yourself permission to perm wow. <laughs> Oh my God. It must be us. That was amazing. I cannot believe I, I just said permission. I don't even know if it would be perceptible for the non-Michiganders. I also love how I, close it is to pure Michigan. I know. I was looking at your foot where she has a Michigan oh tattoo. God, yeah, awesome. And as soon as you said it, I like perked up. That is crazy. Okay. Uh, giving yourself permission to like... <laughs> Permission. Never again. answer a DM or never open your DMs or like 
I have to remember, I think I finally had to remember that like, just because I'm talking about my personal life doesn't mean I have to talk to other people about my personal life. And that's, yeah, it's really tricky. I I mean, I'm so grateful for people who message me or email me or respond to my newsletter. And I just, I have to give myself permission to not respond to everyone and to know that like the feed and the newsletter itself are the, is the response. Like the book is the response. Like that's the offering. But yeah, my friends and I who, my friends who I was with who were going to this event are all maybe like public people who have like, our art is very personal and we were all kind of in our friend group and we were kind of like no new friends you guys like we got to stick together we're all exhausted it's been a long year and then we were immediately attracted to like the two other women at the party who are also like public people doing their lives who also showed up not knowing anybody and we're like no new friends and then our two groups combine into one you know and so it's like i'm always open to new friends and new people but i'm also I'm realizing that, and part of it is from hosting the residency and having a podcast that I am always bringing new people in to my life. And so I just have to be careful to like, I, yeah, this was also my first year of having some like friend breakups, which were sad, but I think that they're natural in the same way that like you break up with people you date, like we're going to have friends who aren't, it's not going to work as well. And there's some sadness around like, where does my intensity around how many people I speak to and talk to in any given day make it so there's certain kinds of people that it's really hard for us to keep a friendship because they need a very different kind of friend. Yeah, and just we change. Like we're, we change. All, we're all growing and yes. changing at different paces and levels. Yeah, I think we talked about this just because I can even feel like Gumby of like everybody wants something from me. Yes, and yes. And I think this this platform in particular, and you have a podcast too, yeah. makes people feel, and they do, like you know a lot about yes, me yes. if you've listened for six years. <laughs> yes, yes. And then I meet you and I'm so excited, but I yes. don't know anything about you. Yes. And especially when I moved to New York and it was a new experience for me and people are like, you're here now, let's be friends. And I was like, yes, yes absolutely. Yes. And yes. then I was like, I have a lot of acquaintances, but yes. I have no friends. Yes. yes, And that was really sad. And so now I've had to just be like, not really like I'm good on friends, but like I just kind of want to focus on these ones and go all in on these yeah. like five. My grandma would yes. always say you can count your true friends on yes. one hand. Yes. And I think that's like kind of true. Yes. You can know a lot of people, but yes. I don't know how many friends you can have at one yes. time. I have struggled with that this year more than ever. Like I'm like, I have so many friends. And yeah, I'm trying to like have a little bit of the... I really had one best friend this year, which was Katie Crutchfield. <laughs> and, you know, I can then think of like probably four more next friends who I about, but like she, it kind of felt good to be like, that's my person. That's, you know, she has a partner. I had a partner for most of the year, but like she was sort of my like consistent priority of like, that's who I text pretty much every day. We call once a week, at least like we fly to each other, we see each other and it went in its own waves and I'm sure it will continue to, but she's a five people friend. She sings her songs in front of thousands of people sometimes and has a lot of people who want to speak to her. And she really, she is the really the queen of no new friends. Like I've really watched her not make new friends. It was funny. I just introduced her to my amazing friend, Emily Ritz, and they really like caught to each other. And it was, I was like, wow, this is really the first time I've introduced Katie to one of my new friends. And she was like, I'll be friends with you. And I was kind of like, 
Nice. She's got some new friend room, but yeah, I've been really inspired. It's, you know, she's very Capricorn energy and I really was, have been inspired to see how she really only keeps a few people close and does an amazing job of being those five people's friends. And that's, I I strive to be a little, do a little more of that. So, yeah. Yeah. I find if I'm just stretched too thin, I don't really have meaningful relationships with everyone. I just have, it just ends up being surface. And it's not even like, because they're not great. It's just, it takes effort to share and be vulnerable. And sometimes I'm like, I already told this, but I can't even get into it with you, you know? And it's like, we might even be closer, but I I process that there. Yes. And so anyway, okay, this is great. I could talk to you forever. Let's do some, (laughs) some quick fire. Cool. All right. Best thing you've eaten in the last week. Um, Key lime pie. Great. Favorite part of your life right now. My friends. (laughs) Morning and evening routines lately. Morning pages have been good for me lately. I, you know, I don't, I just, I don't always do them, but they've been my thing lately and just better no phone time in the morning, dancing in the morning and silence. I, because so much of my practice is public and to music, it's been really nice to just be like, some of it is still public, but just like dancing in silence in the morning. My evening is... I've been reading a little bit more lately. Reading is really hard for me as a, as a phone addict. I definitely like shot all the brain cells that were helping me pay attention to a book. And so I've been sort of like regenerating some of those brain cells. What have you been reading? Um, I've been reading the Marina Abramovich memoir, which is really amazing. And I got the, my brilliant friend book. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And now a show, right? Yeah. I haven't started it, but it's with me. So I hear it's, I hear everybody's talking about it. What about travel rituals and routines? Anything that keeps you grounded while traveling? Tinctures and flower essences are so important to me when I travel. It's fast. It's medicine. It's with me. Definitely prayer. I'm not really, I don't have a meditation practice. I wanted to follow up with, I should, but I'm not going to say that. I don't, I don't currently have a meditation practice, but I have a walking practice and a prayer practice. And I just like to tell people you can always be, I feel like I'm just always in a state of prayer. I'm just like, and that's just noticing, like, I'm just, I'm looking at the light coming through the bathroom window right now. And it is a prayer. Like everything's a prayer. My favorite Madonna song is like a prayer. Um, So I just love praying. I love being in a state of prayer. And I feel like that's something that got, gets lost for a lot of people who, are anti-religion or grew up in religious places. It's like prayer is so tied to Christianity. So as a queer, freaky, non-Christian, you can pray. This is me just saying you can, everybody can pray. What about your walking practice? What is that? I just love to walk. I I love You're in the right city. Yeah, I'm in the right city. Yeah. And I like the subway is overwhelming to me. Like I don't really have the fear I'm going to go the wrong way. It's just like I was explaining to someone like there are more people in one subway car than I've like seen in a month living in Point Reyes Station. Like I'm just like, wow, it's really, it can really deplete me. So I've been taking a milky oat straw tincture, which has been really good. But if I have like, if I see on the subway, there's going to be like a transfer I'll just walk yeah. 40 minutes to the actual one that I takes do, me do. straight there. And I I just, it's better for me. I like walking 40 minutes. I like things that are <laughs> just take me to the place. And yeah, it's been really nice to walk here. And I've been walking a lot. And 
you know, where I was living was truly like the capital of walking, you know, it's a national seashore filled with trails. And so I would naturally walk a lot there in silence or with someone else. But I like walking here with music in my ears. Like it's a, I don't think one isn't any like better than the other. I think there's a place for both. So I know I call it like urban hiking. It is. It is truly urban hiking. Yes. I love it so much. Okay, this is just the time period in the Let It Out podcast where you talk about art that you love. So, well, I'll prompt you, but TV, films, music, dance, books. So you can start with any of those categories. Cool. It can be all-time favorites. I used to frame this as like something you take to a deserted island or it can just be something you're liking recently. I've always loved Fleetwood Mac, but kind of went into a deep obsession in the last month, like took myself to a Fleetwood Mac concert with one of my best friends, Bobby. That was like a four hour drive from where I was living. Um, it was amazing. I love Fleetwood Mac. Um, so that's been really good for me. The album Tusk is rumors was really my favorite for a long time, but I kind of got deep into Tusk this year, uh, this month, really very magical, very fits the the moment, the woo woo. Yeah. The woo woo. So yeah, music. I've been listening to this gay teen named King princess, <laughs> who has a song that's literally called Pussy is God. It's really catchy. Okay. I'm going to listen. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. Everything King Princess is my jam right now. Shows. I always draw. Oh, I just watched the movie Badlands, which I really liked starring Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek from the early seventies. I love Angel's poems who we got to listen to last night. Mm, Angel Nafis. She's. An amazing poet. Yeah, she's an amazing poet. She's an amazing person. I always joke that my two favorite... I don't know why I say joke. I guess because one of them is my friend and one of them is clearly not. But my two favorite living artists are Solange Knowles and Ellen Rutt. And I think the thing that's similar about both of them is they're like... I think about shapes when I think about them. Ellen's work is very clearly like literally shapes. But the way that Solange sort of integrates movement and sculpture and shape and installation into her work is just so amazing to me. And yeah, books. Your Art Will Save Your Life by Beth Pickens is definitely my favorite book of the year. So Cool. What about mentors? I think you just mentioned one, but are there any people in your life that have helped you or have said something that stuck or... Yeah. Mentors are really important to me. And I feel like sort of in 2018, people don't have them anymore or something. And it can be hard to find a mentor who is not like cult leader, like, or weirdly controlling or like you put on a pedestal. So I'm lucky to have a few. I definitely have dance mentors um, for women who call themselves the architects, which is Pam, Pamela Vale, Catherine Ferrier, Lisa Gonzalez, and Jen. And they are amazing. I mean, yeah, they, you know, I've been taking workshops with them for like seven years. And Amy Shavas, who was my professor at the University of Michigan, introduced me to them. And she is, I also, you know, have considered her a mentor. And yeah, and then I have sort of like a spiritual and business mentor in Michigan. And she's like not really like a public person, but is someone who is definitely like guided much of my life and career for the past six years. So yeah, they're they're important. Okay. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships. 
Oh my God, right now I'm like, just go all in. Mm-hmm. I'm such a go, I'm like, go all in and then s- figure feel out your feelings. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> go all in, feel your feelings, and then figure it out later. Um, I'm definitely, I mean, that's, I'm a figure it out later person with like everything. I'm like always just starting and going in. I feel afraid, but I do it anyways. And then later I sometimes have some like cleaning up to do, which, you know, I just accepted that that's part of who I am. And that's been really helpful instead of trying to be like, I need to be, get better at that. I'm just like, there, there she is, everybody. But I think, what was the question? <laughs> Romantic advice. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't ask yeah, me. Yeah, greatest lesson. My lesson I think is really like you just, just you just don't know what's going to happen. If you're both like so, ex- if you're like, feeling both the feelings of like, I'm so excited. This is going to be amazing. And the feeling of this is going to end in flames. It's like, just do it anyways. And then like, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always both. Yes. It's greatest always both. lesson on creativity. Greatest lesson on creativity is do something every day. And then when you don't, because inevitably something will happen where you maybe don't to just start again. Just start again. Just keep starting again. It's so sad. That's always the saddest part is when we mess up, when we like don't do it the way we said we were going to, and then we don't keep going. So just start again. Start again. Greatest lesson on communication. Just say it. Just be really clear and inform someone. Like this past, you know, I'm a Gemini Virgo rising. So Mercury retrograde can be Mercury rules two signs in there, Virgo and Gemini. And so it, and my Mercury and Venus are also in Gemini. It's just, you know, when Mercury or Venus goes into retrograde, I'm like, I'm there, we're doing it. Um, And so (laughs) having them back to back this year, I really found that I just, when I wasn't being clear, either because I thought that was going to protect someone or protect me, it just like vagueness and lack of clarity can be really hurtful. And so I just... I've been just over communicating with some people. Like I usually start with like, this might be way more than you need, but like, this is what I can offer you. This is where I'm at. This is what I need. And so much better. Just, it works so much better to just do it that way. So yeah, that's, that's a lesson I need to learn. I'm just like, but I rather you just know it feels so uncool to say it, but you got to just say it. Okay, greatest lesson on spirituality. What do you think happens when we die? You've mentioned God a little bit. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I definitely think when we die, we are are like explode into an energy portal that like just kind of goes everywhere. And I think we just show up in things. And I had an important person to me die in 2013. And her name was Marie Catrippe and she owned my favorite restaurant, Marie Catrippe's that I so good. worked at. Yeah. It just closed. Aww. Yeah. Really, really sad. Um, but Marie, well, yeah, was, was like a mentor, was like a grandmother, was like a mother figure to me and helped me get sober. was a big part of me getting sober and she died. And then later, two years later, I had breast reduction surgery and my, my, you know, you get, put under and she was sitting in a chair. Like I just remember darkness and her sitting in a chair and like being there with me the whole time. 
And Lucy, my dog, is the other important person, person, important being in my life that died. And I got Lucy in second grade. And then she died when I was 23. And so she just, you know, saw me become a person, waited to die till I, sh- I could get sober. That's what I always say. And um, Lucy shows up in everything to me. I see her in other dogs. I feel her with me a lot. And so, yeah, I think when we die, we just like spread ourselves out with everybody who loved us and needed us and we're just kind of around but yeah my you know spirituality to me is you know i do like a lot of the language of alcoholics anonymous around the spirit of the universe and using god in a really flux way unfortunately the steps gender god as a he and i think that's just really a kind of a sad part of the time Bill W. who wrote those steps and and wrote a lot of the literature of AA is like a really trippy cosmic dude who was like a witch, like had like him and his partner Lois, who started Al-Anon, had a seance room in their house. Like they experimented with LSD after he'd been sober for a long time. And like he stayed sober, but like used LSD as a means to like heal his depression and connect spiritually. And so I'm I'm really interested in sort of that writing and that language about just like the cosmic unfolding of other dimensions. And yeah, my art practice, I just went to see the Hilma F. Clint show at the Guggenheim and it's like, you know, that was all the secret work that she channeled from, from having weekly seances and connecting to her guides. So my guides don't have like names. Like I don't really feel like I don't have a specific practice of like mediumship that looks like that, but I just, my like noticing and walking and prayer practice is sort of my spiritual practice. So we talk a lot about body image on this podcast mm-hmm. and just being a woman in the world and yeah. a body. You to me are someone who's, you know, so beautiful inside and out and comfortable in your yeah. skin. Yeah. Have you always been this way? Have you ever struggled with body image? You know, I feel pretty lucky to have not struggled. I probably do in like some of the, I'm a person who got boobs as a ballerina when other people didn't get boobs as a ballerina. And that was really, really hard for me. I was really lucky. Actually, my friend Genevieve, who came to the reading last mm, night, she was great. We grew up together dancing and she is a couple years older than me and also had big boobs as a ballerina and just didn't care. Just like loved, I mean, cared, but didn't care, you know? And I feel like I had a few people that I'm so glad were like other, that was just such a thing was like ballerinas are flat chested. And I just was not. And like the rest of my body kind of always stayed naturally kind of just like stick thin ballerina and I didn't have to try, but then I went to college and my body really changed when I basically like became a modern dancer, like my shape changed. And that was scary to me, but I pretty much at this point, I really, I don't have any advice. I just kind of, maybe it's just cause I have so many other things that are fucked up about me, that I'm like, my body image gets to be my thing that I just don't feel. I just, Sometimes certain clothes fall weird on me. Like, I think I still, you know, even though I had breast reduction surgery, partly because my boobs started getting too big and then my back, I was having back problems and ended up being like a a medical Mm -hmm. procedure, which I feel really grateful for. Thank you, Barack Obama, for helping me pay for that. I love you and I miss you every day. That, you know, I still have big boobs. And I think sometimes I dress but I dress in a way that like maybe hides them, but like that just feels good to me. You know, it's like, I know people who are trans or non-binary who 
have breasts and wear binders and it's not like they hate their boobs. They just like how they look when they're pressed in a certain way. But when I'm like naked and being intimate with someone, I just love my body. I love bodies. I'm lucky to be like sexually really, I've been like very sexually awakened to my own body since a young age. You know, I have my own sexual trauma and feel and have, you know, had to ask for help with that and have gotten help with that. And just, I'm lucky to both with certain traumas around growing up as a ballerina or sexual stuff that through mostly therapy and craniosacral therapy, I can just like still really love myself. So you have so many great tattoos. When did you start getting tattoos? Do you have a favorite one? Do you have advice for someone getting (laughs) their first tattoo? (laughs) No, just get it. Uh, My, my tattoos are like so funny because there's just so many all over my body and yeah, we can look at some I of them, them now on my leg. Cool. Yeah, they're just a... My first tattoo is Michigan on my foot. I got it on the date 666. Mm-hmm. I got it on June 6, 2006. And I went slow. You know, I think I got three in like four years. Because I again, I was dancing and in kind of like... I was, you know, I was in a program that was like to be a professional dancer where you're maybe not covered in tattoos. And then I just at some point got... Maybe like two years ago. I had, you know, I probably got 50 tattoos in like a three year period or two year period or something. Yeah, I just, they're just all art. They're pretty much all just things my friends have drawn. My two on my front of my legs are maybe my favorite. They're drawings by Arthur Akamura, who was a illustrator, you know, a painter, illustrator, wood, woodblock printmaker in Bolinas. And yeah, they're from Joanne Kiger's poetry book, Just Space. And she was also a poet where I was living. So, but I love all my tattoos. Can I take a picture of your legs? Yeah, 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 up? yeah. Okay, so people, people can see yes, what we're talking I love about. It. I took it on my disposable. Yes. So what do you do when you're having, a, we, we talk about this sometimes in relation to body image or just anything in life. What do you do when you are having a shitty day or shitty moment? How do you pivot so that doesn't spiral into a shitty week or month? I am a texter. Like I really, and I mentioned Katie, like we, we both just really text each other a lot when we like need that pivot moment. And we, and we also try to build though, because codependency runs deep with both of us. And so we also are sort of always looking at like, okay, how do we not have this conversation again? You know, how do we not rely too heavily on the, you know, because what if you text a friend and they can't text you back or something? But I mean, processing with other people is like why I have so many friends, I think. But also just tinctures and flower essences are like a big, they are my pivoter friends, like especially flower essences, which, you know, are working with a frequency of a plant. So they're not as specific as like a tincture, which is like truly herbal medicine. That's like working with your nervous system usually, or some sort of system in your body. Whereas like flower essences are sort of just magic. That's real. And um, so flower essences are good because they're usually tied to sort of like a, I don't believe in myself right now, or I need to focus or I need to get to work or I want to get over a breakup. So just having physical actions and dancing, you know, is a physical action to me, like stopping and being like, okay, I'm going to document myself dancing now or something is really good for me. So, yeah, I'll link to the episode with Aki, the flower essences queen of this podcast. Cool. So people can learn about what that is if they haven't heard about it, but I Amazing. agree. It's, and I have trouble remembering to take mine. Same. 
hundred percent. I probably haven't taken mine like three or four days. Okay. My tinctures, I take a little more quickly because I can really feel my nervous yeah. system. But flower essences, I also forget about. They're You're always remind- in my bag. Yeah, but same. I forget. Yeah. Same. You're reminding me to. Yeah, cool. I feel very witchy, and and it's a good conversation starter to like whip it out and I put love it. it. Put it in a drink. I always like tell people what it is, and then people are like, "I need it." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, take them." Yeah. Okay. So this was a delight. I think you're wonderful. Thank you. Thank I think you you're so wonderful. much for doing Great this questions. podcast. Yeah, of course. The name of the podcast is Let It Out. So yes. did I ring you dry? Is there anything that you wished I would have talked about? Wish I would have asked you about that you never get to talk about that you wanted to talk about? No, this was great. This is exactly what I wanted to talk about. Thank great. you. Well, we end with something kind of, um, I think, I usually say weird, but I think cool. And yes. you will all yes. still think it's yes. cool. So we just take a deep breath together. Great. Okay. So inhale. Let it out. Ah. Always feels a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. Thank this you. Is great. This is great. That's my episode with Marley. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. I think she's just a delight. I like everything about her. I love listening to her and I hope that you did too. I loved recording this conversation and I actually have a signed copy of her book, How to Not Always Be Working, that I want to give to one of you. So to win that, I will send it to you. Go ahead and... I get so many lovely notes on Instagram of people taking screenshots of themselves listening and sharing it on social media. So I'm going to choose one of those this week. So it has to be this episode, but tag myself and tag Marley that you're listening and something maybe that you got from it or something that you liked. And I'll choose one of you to send a signed copy of Marley's book to. I think that would be, that'd be really cool. And also comment on my most recent Instagram photo that you did that with the emoji from this week's episode and I'll choose and I'll get your address and I'll send it to you. And I think that'd be really fun. All right, let's get to likes and learns the new segment that I've been doing for a couple of weeks where I share something I've been liking and something I've been learning in the last week. Let's start with likes. I have been liking, this is very simple. Maybe it's something you've loved for years. Mulberries dried mulberries. I've been eating a lot of dried fruit recently. It's just felt really, to use Marley's term, correct for me as a snack. And mulberries in particular, I've been putting on everything. I've been putting them in my salads. I've been eating them out of the bag. I've been putting cinnamon and sea salt on them. I just had them with my yogurt, my coconut yogurt on top as like a crunchy thing. So good. I'm sure they have a lot of health benefits. I don't know what they are, but I'm assuming they have them. My friend Carolina makes this very healthy chocolate that I love, which is something, if you've known me at all, I gush about this chocolate all the time. I almost feel bad about how much I talk about it. It's called Freaky Health Chocolate. But anyway, she sweetens her chocolate with mulberries, so I know they must be really healthy. I really have been loving eating them on their own. So that's just a snack I've been liking a lot, as well as Emmy's Organics, actually. I've been having both of those things in my bag at all times for travel. And anyway, again, feeling correct. What's also feeling correct is something I've been learning this week. I've been going through a really tough week, like maybe the toughest ever. (laughs) More on that later, but 
I've been trying to change some deep-rooted patterns in me. And in my episode with Dr. Samantha Boardman from, I don't know, over maybe two years ago, at least a year and a half ago, she's a therapist in New York City. And she told me this thing that when you're feeling depressed or anxious to do something that's on you. So do the thing that's not you to switch your pattern. And my pattern tends to be to isolate, to stay by myself, and to just go really in it with my depression. But last week and this week, I was forced to ask for help. So I texted friends and I called friends and I saw friends in person and I depended on people. And that was changing a pattern in me. The pattern is to isolate and to overwork and to turn to food or controlling food. But instead, I turned to people. And it didn't feel good, but it felt correct, right? It felt in alignment, like the thing I should be doing to feel better. And when I say I I called friends, I sobbed on the phone to friends, to my friend Simi and my friend Carolina and my friend Sasha and my friend Katie. I spent time with them in person and I cried and I I was very unglued and they were there for me. And that level of vulnerability hopefully allows them to give that back to me. And they have, and I can be there for them as well. And I just wanted to share that because that's what I think friendship is. And that's what I think being a human is. It's really, really fucking hard. (laughs) So we need each other. And I hope you're doing okay. And I love you. And I'm so grateful that I get to do this podcast and talk to people like Marley Next week on the podcast, I have comedian Adam Strauss. He made this one-man show in New York called The Mushroom Cure, which I'll talk all about next week, but he is coming up on the show. I think you'll really like that episode. It's a long one. Get ready for it. And I can't wait to talk to you then. In the meantime, the emoji for this week's episode, I'll be right back with that actually, because I have to look at my phone and figure out what it is. But again, thank you for listening. If you're still listening right now, sign up for my email newsletter. I just sent one out last week and I think you would probably really like it if you like me rambling right now and join the listener Facebook group. If you want to support this podcast, you can do that on Patreon. That'd be really cool, but you know, no pressure and supporting the sponsors honestly really helps as well. I love you guys and talk to me on Instagram. I'm at Katie Dalebout. This week's episode is brought to you in part by my favorite snacks, Emmy's Organics. They're delicious. They're made with simple ingredients like organic coconut and almond flour. They never use artificial ingredients or preservatives or natural flavors. They're certified organic, gluten-free, vegan, grain-free, soy-free. They're great with a cup of coffee as a little dessert or tea as I like to have them. My friend Carolina puts them in her kid's lunch as a little treat. Great for on the go. I always have them in my backpack literally every day. I usually have at least one for breakfast, sometimes a couple and sometimes a couple in the afternoon. You can get them at Whole Foods or Sprouts or CVS. They're available nationwide and on their website at Emmys Organics where you can get 40% off your first order when you use the code LETITOUT at checkout. They're a certified B Corp, which is considered the highest standard of corporate responsibility. They were founded in a home kitchen in 2009 by my friend Samantha and her husband, Ian, and they employ Burmese refugees and support them 
with this beautiful working environment and great benefits like paid time off. And I just love this company so much, as much as I love their snacks. And I really love these snacks, you guys. Like, I really am very into the peanut butter flavor, the brownie flavor, the chocolate chip cookie flavor, very into. The peanut butter is my favorite. Anyway, if you want to try them, pick them up at the store or go to emmysorganics.com and get 40% off your order when you use the code Let It Out. Okay, I'm back to tell you the emoji. I have the emoji at the ready. I can't wait to tell you what it is. But first, I have to tell you a quick story about something that came out this week. If you're listening to this the week it came out, it just launched. But if not, it's available forever. I got to make a show with this company called Blueprint. They're owned by NBC Universal, and it's called Journaling 101. And They are this online learning platform channel. They'll teach you everything from cake decorating to quilting to knitting to all sorts of cooking and flower arranging and every sort of thing, you embroidery, everything you would possibly want to learn. And they have a section about writing, memoir writing, children's book writing. And they asked me to teach a class about journaling. So I got to make this class called Journaling 101. I got to fly to Denver to shoot it this fall. It was so much fun. I honestly, the best thing for my career ever. It was just a delight doing this shoot and working with the best producers and editors and camera people, makeup people and hair people. It was just so much fun. And I would love for you to check it out. It was a delight. The link to do that and at least watch the trailer is in the show notes and It's around a lot of the concepts from my book, Let It Out, but also really new things because I wrote that book when I was 24 years old and feel pretty far from it, even though I still love it. But this was all my updated journaling tools and prompts and ways that journaling's been useful for me in the last several years. So I'd really love for you to check it out. It would mean so much to me. And the emoji for this episode is the cloud because Marley uses that imagery a lot in her work and I love the cloud emoji. So just the straight up cloud. I don't want the lightning bolt or the rain or the sun peeking out of it. Just a cloud, please. That would be really great. So comment that on my Instagram, tweet it at me, tweet it at Marley, tag her on Instagram. She's at Marley Grace. I'm at Katie Dalebout. We talk a lot about social media. So I think it'd be funny if we all just put a bunch of clouds on there for each other. Because clouds are cool. They're they're kind of a nice imagery to my likes and learns today, too. Everything is temporary, you know? Everything is temporary. Clouds are annoying because they block the sun. But I'm still glad they exist because I wouldn't enjoy the sun as much if there weren't clouds. And clouds move. They're malleable, just like feelings and emotions. So just put that in your kombucha and drink it. All right? Love you guys. Bye. Bye. 